chimney fire at a residence up Frying Pan Road Sunday night had firefighters on scene until Monday morning. Residents attempted to quell the blaze with a garden hose, but the fire had progressed to a point where that became ineffective. The Aspen Daily News reports that there were no injuries, but the home is uninhabitable. Residents are reportedly staying with nearby family. The BLM has determined, the Bureau of Land Management has determined that Rocky Mountain Industrials Limestone Quarry near Glenwood Springs has failed to qualify with the 1872 mining law. In a recent press release from the Glenwood Springs Citizens Alliance, President Jeff Peterson states that the findings in the BLM's report show original mine approvals from 1982 are no longer valid. Peterson also calls for a halt to mining activity unless the company gets a federal mineral sales contract and fixes other noncompliance issues. An indigenous author recently released a children's book on the Jingle Dress Dance, a ceremonial dance of healing and prayer. During the pandemic, Deirdre Havelock saw countless videos online of indigenous women and girls jingle dress dancing, a century-old tradition that started during the global flu pandemic. Haverlock's a member of the Saddle Lake, Saddle Lake Cree Nation in Alberta, Canada. I was like, no wonder it's just so beautiful, right? It's 100 years later and they're still doing this, even more so, like it's just exploded. And I thought I wanted to capture this historic moment through a picture book. Why We Dance, a story of hope and healing, follows a young girl's relationships with her mother, aunt, and cousin as she gets ready for the jingle dress dance. The lyrical story ends with colorful illustrations of the joyful dance. The book is available in bookstores and online. Two new reports show that winter low temperatures and the number of warm days are both on the rise. Thanks to human-caused climate change, the Mountain West News Bureau's Murphy Woodhouse has more on what that looks like in our region. The group Climate Central has been tracking the warmest and coldest days over the last five decades. What they found is that 86% of some 240 sites across the country now have more very warm days than in the 1970s, and that the coldest day of the year has gone up by 7 degrees. Changes in high temperatures were more modest across much of our region, but some of the most dramatic swings in cold days were found in the West. Winter lows jumped nearly 16 degrees since 1970 in Boise and by 14 in Reno. But Judah Cohen, seasonal forecasting director at Verisk Atmospheric and Environmental Research, says this trend doesn't mean extreme cold is going away. That's due in part to disruptions in the polar vortex, which have brought frigid temperatures in recent weeks. A few days later, a week later, the polar vortex snaps back to its normal shape or configuration, and the record warm temperatures return. So we're seeing this increase in weather volatility. He says the debate about the impact of climate change on the polar vortex is ongoing. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Murphy Woodhouse. In January, the Denver Art Museum removed a case of ceramics from display after federal regulations changed regarding the possession of Native American artifacts. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has more. Three ceramics and an incised shell gorget, a type of necklace, were removed from a case in the Denver Art Museum. The artifacts had been on display for about a year. The items were removed after new federal regulations went into effect regarding the Native American Graves Protections and Repatriation Act. The act mandates the return of hundreds of thousands of indigenous artifacts that are in museums and universities across America. 
Recent updates to the act mandate that items cannot be on display without permission from the tribes. The museum has followed guidelines on Native American artifacts since 1990, but decided to remove the Mississippian and Catawan ceramics out of an abundance of caution. They say they will consult with the more than 30 tribes who claim descent from those two cultures before displaying the items again. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. Local schools are considering a new method of keeping tabs on how long students are out in the hallways, and opinions from staff and students are heavily split. As part of our collaboration with Andy Zanka Youth Empowerment Program's news coverage, Charlie Hippensteel has more for KDNK News. Glenwood Springs High School has an issue. That issue being the amount of students trying their hardest to not be in class. The school has had differing solutions, but they've all largely been unsuccessful. Then, Principal Paul Freeman heard about E-Hall Pass. It was before the end of last year, and I was talking to an administrator in another school, and they said something about E-Hall Pass, and I said, oh, what's that? And they explained it to me, and I said, do you like it? And they said, yeah, we love it. I can't now remember which school... When I heard about it, I did a little bit of research. I talked to my colleagues about it. They said, well, yeah, it's worth taking a look at. So we got a presentation from someone from the company that provides E-Hall Pass. They did a demonstration for us. The group of people that saw the demonstration liked the look of it. Students had also received a brief demonstration shortly after the school year began. They must request a pass from the E-Hall Pass website on their Chromebook or personal computer, including where they're going and then the teacher must accept their request on their computer and will keep track of how long the student has been out, and only 10 students at a time are allowed outside of class. There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of questions, but above all being, why? Um, solve a problem with traffic in the hallways, and I think to cut down on the number of kids who were out of class, the amount of time that they were out of class. The, 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 the problem is the amount of time that students spend on their classwork. The main concern for faculty is, does it work? This far, no. Um, not in my class, at least. It feels like there's less students that are roaming during the class period, but I can't say numbers for sure. If a student is struggling, I can look back and say, okay, how many times were you out of class in the last week? And did any of those times exceed 15 minutes, right? Because then that's a quarter of the class time that you're gone. But I know that it's definitely had an impact on my classroom. So how did the students feel about all this? Terribly. Well, for starters, a lot of the teachers don't even, like, they gave up on it because they don't want to deal with it either. Um, I think it's kind of inconvenient, especially in classes where you don't use your computer because then you have to get your computer out to go to the bathroom. Honestly, I would consider it horrendous. I don't like it. Half the people don't abide by it. Half the teachers expressed their distaste for it and don't use it. The teachers that do use it only ever complain about it later, but insist it's a good idea despite surrounding negativity. It's unpopular amongst the student population, and it does absolutely nothing to mitigate the use of students actively leaving the class during class time. And how do the teachers feel? It was anxiety-inducing, I think, for staff to have another system 
that's in place if we didn't quite have the Chromebooks just learning how to use another system already into the school year of like, I don't have time to, to figure this out. Systems really easy once we got used to using that system, just like with Infinite Campus or Schoology. I've been waiting for a kiosk for my class because it's hard to stop class to accept those digital requests for the passes while I'm in the middle of teaching. I can do it in some classes, but most I can't. Um, some teachers have said to me that they like it, and some people are not using it and I'm one of the ones that's not fully using it right now. I have my own system that I've used for years. One of the things that we're waiting for is what they call a kiosk. For us, would probably be an iPad. What you don't want to do is start fiddling for another tab on your computer. I haven't, haven't really been using it that much. I'm still at the early adopter stage of, uh, of this process, sort of figuring my way through it. Principal Freeman plans on sharing the system with other schools in the district if it proves successful. I think if we were to say, hey, we did, we, we did this e-haul pass, it, it took months to get it figured out and running, and it took us a while to get the equipment, but once we got it running, it, it's also possible at the end of the year, we say, well, we gave it a try. It didn't seem to help us that much, so we'll cancel our subscription. Be on the lookout for an e-haul pass system maybe coming to your local schools. Special thanks to Principal Freeman, teachers Alexandria Ogonic, Trevor Doty, and Jill Wilson, and students Clover Way, Tianchi Rose, Nex Brooks, Ashton Bomert, and Samara Kalal for offering their time to interview, and a very special thanks to the Andy Zanka Youth Empowerment Program. I'm Charlie Hippensteel. This story was part of a larger piece by Charlie Hippensteel for the Andy Zanka Youth Empowerment Program. The full feature is available at kdnk.org under the A-Z-Y-E-P tag. This is KDNK News.